0: Dear Shooter, taking your first class can be intimidating. You don't really know what to expect and you're nervous about how you're going to perform. Stop it. It makes no difference how you do compared to anybody else. All that matters is that you are better than when you walked in. So Shooter, let's talk about your first training. Of course I have. Uh, (laughs) Just checking because I'm like getting the stink eye here. Go
1: do your thing, but get good at your craft first. And put your budget to things that really matter to day You want to get good at it, and make no mistake about it—that's training. Let's face it: if you have a size 62 waist, you are not as tactical as 5'11 might think you are. <laughs> and we've all seen it. <laughs> wow! I feel the love. There it is. And Brady jumps in. Town, <laughs> With all of the sensibilities.
2: <laughs> Welcome to the Deer Shooter Podcast. I am your host, Jason Crotto. Deer Shooter is brought to you by WioTac Empowerment Through Self Reliance and Lucid Optics on target under budget. And good Thursday morning. This is your Deer Shooter for the week. And we're talking about your first training class today, and actually we have a special guest, Ryan Gallo. He took a class last year, it was his very first class, formal, and uh, before he walked into that he told me that he had shot a Glock once and a Garand once, and uh, after three days I I, kind of threw him to the wolves on that one. I had several people in that class that constituted probably a hundred years of shooting experience, um, Ryan, say hi and uh, what did you feel like when you
3: stepped into that class? Hi, so uh, when I stepped into that class I was uh, definitely a little bit nervous uh, I, I was really excited purely because the only gun knowledge that I had previously had come from shooting with one of my friends at work with a Grand and then shooting with my dad with a Glock once and the rest of it was video game knowledge, which is not <laughs> accurate these days um, but i I was definitely nervous to to get behind it and see the kickback was the big thing that was worrying me uh, i I wasn't sure how a modern rifle was going to do compared to like the grand that mm-hmm. I had been shooting in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was alleviated almost immediately <laughs> when I first shot it. Uh, it helps when you go suppressed, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. the The suppression, as well as uh, the grand I was holding, standing up, whereas we were doing far more tactical, lining up shots, uh, making sure that it was far more accurate than just shooting guns out in the forest. <laughs> <laughs>
2: and we, and and Jason Brandy, we we've all seen this. We've we've seen. This, I don't even know how many shooters come in that have. Little to no experience.
1: From my perspective, we see shooters. i um, about forty to fifty a year. Um, some of them are first time behind a precision gun, but most of them have had some sort of shooting experience whatsoever. Um, just one quick edit. Kickback. That's what a politician gets.
3: <laughs> Recoil is what oh, a rifle gives you. Gotcha. Right. I know we see, covered this. Still, still learning. <laughs>
2: And it and it is. It's a it's a it's a forever process. And you've you've had some doozies.
0: Yeah, I have.
2: <laughs> Care to elaborate? Not really. Killing me, Smalls. <laughs> most of the, most
1: of the, the, the stories that we would have come from an ego that is either misplaced or somehow trying to put their pecking order somewhere. In the class. Um, most men come to a class knowing that they've been shooting since they were, you know, the grandchild of their grand their grandfather, five, six years old. Mm-hmm. And that misplaced, I've shot for all my life, translates into absolutely nothing when it comes to sitting at the bench, doing it for real, um, learning how to properly do it. Right. Right. Um, some of the things that you describe happened with Ryan in the class. I mean, you had – this is not a beginner class for the most part. No. And you had grandfathers of the industry in that class. Um, you had Michael Bain there. Yep. You had Rob Pincus there. Yep. Not really ready to call Rob a grandfather yet, but, I mean, he's been around once or twice. Right. Right? So these guys aren't rookies. No. Um so you kinda walked on to the field and got behind the gun with the A team standing there staring at you. Um from what I understand is your lack of experience actually played very, very well because as a true beginner you listened.
3: Yeah, that was that was one of the main things that I tried Really hard to focus on was a lot of my friends. I I had talked to them about. Oh, I'm gonna go up to Wyoming and I'm gonna do this this shooting class and I'm gonna I'm gonna learn how to do some uh, long range ballistics and a lot of them were talking about their own stories about how they were like, yeah, I got behind a gun and I just started uh, like it was super fast and loud and uh, and I I knew what I was doing pretty quick and I I didn't want to come up here and act like I knew what I was doing because. I, I'm, I come from a mindset where I have so much to learn especially when it comes to the realm of shooting that if I were to come in here and think oh I know what I'm doing it could either be dangerous or I would learn the wrong way and I, I wouldn't take in all of the things that Jason was trying to say
1: well and, and I will say that I have to check because you are a dude right? Yeah. <laughs> because that's the same mindset that I find most women come to class with they'll come and listen most guys don't come with that so good on you <laughs> yeah.
2: So how did how did that make you feel? Because you didn't really know who was going to be in the class and, and who these people were. I mean, like I said, we had we had Rob Pincus, we had Michael Bain, we had Kevin Crichton, we had you know, you're talking the pillars of the industry.
3: Yeah. Um, it was it was a little at first it, they were just names before I came up here and then when I actually got up here and we were sitting in the bar and we were talking and I actually got to to meet them all face to face for the first time it really it really hit me just how how influential and how ingrained into the the society of of, of guns and uh, the entire culture over it they were they were throwing out a lot of jargon that I just had no idea what they were talking about <laughs> and uh I don't know. It was a lot of it flew over my head, but, um, they were all very, very nice, uh, and all very welcoming to, to say the very least. They, they wanted to make sure that I, I had a good time and they wanted to make sure that I was learning the right way, Mm -hmm. um, which was very, very, very kind.
2: And that's, and that's the advantage of having those guys in the class, um, they walked into it and and i have to give you kudos because as an instructor and, and the one teaching that class that was extremely intimidating for me because if you look at like rob and michael both of them have been mentors in my journey into this into this industry and thank you because you made me look good <laughs>
3: <laughs> it, it felt good it felt really good out on the range uh it felt good to make you look good if that makes sense.
2: <laughs> well, you, so you, and, and you struggled your first day,
3: yeah, yeah. the first day was definitely harrowing, uh, to say the least i i I wasn't able to hit very many shots. I felt like I wasn't able to properly sit around the gun if that makes sense mm-hmm. i It felt very clunky and awkward the first day. Uh, uh, just purely because of my non-information or ever having held a gun that large, uh, in any way with instruction or any way with purpose in the past.
2: Well, we'll we'll keep the peanut gallery at bay here. <laughs> but when we came back, because you you were using all owner gear, um, and and we came back and you were struggling, and there were some shots that you should have hit. That you didn't. And when we got back after the end of the first day, I started. I tore apart that rifle and started looking at it and found out that your scope rings were not tight. And about midday, we just kind of went, I'm not even going to mess with this. I handed you my rifle and let you go to town. I handed you my rifle and my ballistic data, and all of a sudden, you were hitting everything you aimed at.
3: Yeah, the the difference that that made was incredible. The Going from... And at the time, I I wasn't fully aware of it. There was just this huge switch of when I switched guns uh, and everything was working properly. Mm -hmm. um, the, The feeling was fantastic, going from I'm aiming at something and I feel like it should be hitting and it's not, and I feel like I'm doing something wrong, to taking the things that you were teaching me that day, lining them up, and then having them actually work every single time almost, because... Uh, because the, the equipment was actually working the way it was intended to, that, that felt amazing.
2: And I have to give you kudos because you never once blamed the equipment.
3: No, I, I didn't want to be that guy <laughs> that came out onto the field and was like, Oh, my my scope sucks. What's going on? <laughs> this, it's, it's, that, it's their fault. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't be that guy. <laughs> no, no, no. I did not want to be that guy.
2: And, and I will tell you that you that right there shows a more advanced shooter because the more advanced you get, the more loath you are to blame the gear.
1: Ninety-nine point nine percent of the time, any deviation in accuracy metrics is the operator. Well, yeah, the gear has gotten so good in the past twenty years that I've been messing with it. CNC machining's come a long ways. Metallurgy and understanding how stuff works together has come a long ways. The gear is pretty much infallible at this point. Mm -hmm. There is operator-induced errors, like rings not being tight, mounts not being tight, right. Grabbing a mixed bag of ammo. But at the end of the day, um, most gear is pretty much going to do exactly what you tell it to do. You point it down range and squeeze the trigger, it's going to go where you've told it to go. Mm-hmm. Those accuracy issues are that's operator.
2: Well, and, and to be fair, you had, you had issues because your scope rings weren't tight. Bane, uh, Michael, actually had one of the same issues as he was using a mount that was more designed for a carbine. Um, not really, it was a quick release mount that really wasn't designed for these heavier scopes and a heavier recoiling rifle. Um, so I think it was day two or day three. He We actually had to tear his completely apart and remount the scope uh, because he lost zero. And and it was having the same issues you were. So it's it, it wasn't an isolated incident.
1: It never is.
2: <laughs> <No>. Usually there's <laughs> two
1: or three guys on the line with some sort of equipment. Going weird,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, but most guys will pull their ego back up out of the bag and say, "This scope's a piece of junk. This rifle doesn't shoot straight." Um, let's take a minute, take a deep breath, find the problem, and get back to work. And you did that with Michael. I did. The yeah. next day, he was spot on and
2: flawless, doing what he does. Mm-hmm. Right now, to be fair. Because it, and Michael did the same thing that you did. He he was like, no, it's not the equipment. It's it, it's it's me somehow, some way. So I had to stand next to him and endure that break right in the face. He was using a <laughs> JP break on a three hundred eight that was just obnoxious.
1: It does dump a lot of gas. Though.
2: And I had to sit there and take it for thirty rounds while we figured out what the hell was wrong with his gun. <laughs>
1: that's what that twitch was
3: i will say i the part that i'm extremely grateful for is that uh like you're saying with uh with both of us having those uh, equipment issues you being the instructor uh regardless of of where our egos were at you had the the uh the wherewithal to look over our shoulders and say hey this isn't a you issue. This is an equipment issue. And that felt really reassuring for the rest of the class, knowing that regardless of how I was doing or what my equipment was doing, you were going to be able to spot the mistake and help me onto the better track.
2: Well, thank you. And that's yeah. why that's, that's a lot of the reason we use what we call block instruction. Um, the class you were in was not, you know, it's not a standard curriculum. It's not the same class for every, for every student that comes through. Uh, one of the things that we aim to do is get everybody on the line and identify where the class is as a whole and then push you from there. Because I don't I don't want to do a standard curriculum where I've got 10 students on the line that, by, at the end of the day, they're where they were to begin with because this is repetitive stuff. I, I want to get you on the line, figure out where you're at, and let's learn something new and let's get better at something that we suck at.
3: It's not target practice. It's active improvement. Right. Gotcha. You
1: can go and plank on your own time,
2: <laughs> right? <laughs> Which I think I think is a is a big problem for a lot of people. Um, you you get people that go out to the range and they don't have a plan, and they don't know what they're doing to get better. They don't know what to do to get better, so they end up going out and get and start planking, and they get bored. And and all it ends up being is an ammo waste. Um. And that's one of the benefits of going through a class. Is now you can go to the range and you can look back on your time with an instructor and go, "Ooh, when I was sucking at this, he made me do this drill."
1: Out of curiosity, did you guys utilize a logbook of any kind?
2: We did. We we did range cards, logbooks. We we utilized street
1: Good. So I mean, you had a point of reference where you were messing up mm-hmm. to where you weren't messing up. Right and we're able to build ballistic data based off that information, so every time you got to shoot, you weren't starting from scratch.
3: Yes, I, I wish I had brought the booklet that I had been given to, to write notes and such in here today. I, I think it's back in my home, but um, I still have written down, I was trying to find the, the proper dope for the, the gun with the, the, the scope that I was using, uh, that wasn't working properly and the numbers were everywhere all over it because I couldn't get a a, a permanent figure down based off of where I was shooting and I, I looked back into the book uh, a couple months afterwards when I had kind of reprocessed and thought through the fact that the first day I was using the the kind of uh, messed up equipment on top uh, and I, I could see the, the, the confused process of trying to write down the dope in a it looked like a madman scrawlings.
1: <laughs> but the logbook's one of the most underutilized tools for a shooter. Agreed. Most guys think they can commit that to memory, and they have a couple of bourbons later, and the next day they don't know what they're doing. So use the book. Yeah,
2: So and in, in, in two things that I think are absolutely invaluable in a data book for a long-range precision rifle is, number one, your dope chart, and your barrel log. Because when you start to when you go out and you're say you're 1,000, 1,200 yard rounds into a three oh eight barrel and now you're starting to see your hundred yard zero group opening up, now you know it's time for a new barrel.
1: Or time to clean it.
2: <laughs> that might be too.
1: <laughs> clean it first. That's cheap. Barrels are cheap too, but at the end of the day, do the thing you can do first. Right. So coming to the class having the experience that you had, the intimidation was kept at a minimum because, one, Jason's a pretty darn good instructor doing what he does. The guys that you were with have all been there, done that, and my guess is they were supportive.
3: Yes. You will
1: find that in our industry that they're going to be rallied behind the guy that needs to be brought up rather than pounding their chest and walking around like a peacock.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I, the only intimidation that I felt was coming from my own personal feelings at that point was the, the expectations I had on myself rather than the expectations of everyone around me.
1: Excellent. So it, your learning metrics allowed you to absorb the information better because you didn't have the failure to launch paralysis because of, t- of intimidation.
3: Yes, absolutely. I, I thought it was going to be far worse than it was uh, for the very beginning of it, uh, especially in the classroom where, uh, well, everybody was very, very nice, all of the information being thrown at me. I thought we were going to get out on the field, and it was going to be everybody just hitting shot after shot after shot of these people who have been doing it for so long. And I went out there, and really, uh, as much as I was missing my shots... Everybody else trying to get their equipment set, everybody trying to figure out where they were. It was a lot of people missing, seeing where their shot went, and adjusting in the same way that I was trying to do. So it didn't feel like I was necessarily behind. I just lacked the knowledge and the comfortability that they did.
2: Excellent. Mm-hmm. You, you didn't get mad when you missed. They did. <laughs> that, was, that was the difference. Um, so, so day two. You know we, we got you through day one and, and and you like I said, you struggled quite a bit day one. <laughs> we got you behind the right equipment and and you improved dramatically day one. day two was we we started late because we were going to have a late night that night. we did the night shoot on 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 day two uh, as it was getting dark and we were getting everything set up for the night shoot, you walked up to me and you you, you said something to me as we were plugging batteries into night vision. What was that?
3: Oh God, I don't remember. Oh, was it the was it me not being outside enough or No, that no, we'll get there. All right.
2: I I remember you walking up to me and you said you your only point of reference to this was Call of Duty.
3: Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I haven't even played that in like five or six years. So it was it was it was crazy to me to see the tactical equipment that was used at night and uh just before night to, to see it all in action and see it working Working better than I thought it would in a way where it was it was the night vision was extremely clear. and it, that, it, it, I, it blew me away.
2: Yeah, it did. It it blew your mind when I handed you a night vision scope and you looked through it. You looked at me and you like you couldn't believe it was real. <laughs> yeah. What
0: night vision were we using?
2: We were using a PVS fourteen
1: behind what optic?
2: That was just by itself. Just by itself. Just Straight by up. itself. Okay. Um we we had a um we had a clip-on optic in front of day scopes that we were kind of swapping rifles with. You you took a couple shots out of a 556 five, and you were hitting at 650 yards in
3: complete darkness. Yeah, I felt I felt fantastic that night. I don't think I missed during the night shoot actually. I took I may have only taken around 12, 13, 14 shots. Uh, just because we were familiarizing with the equipment and you were teaching us a lot about how night shooting works and it wasn't like blowing shots down range. It was just, um, familiarizing us with how that went and it felt amazing that night equipment combined with what I had learned the previous day. And then up until that point, I I felt really, really good during that night shoot.
1: So did you go home and tell your girlfriend that you're better in the dark? (laughs)
3: <laughs> no, I should have. <laughs> That's a good line. I'm going to steal that. <laughs> Do my best work in the dark.
1: <laughs> well, he did in that class.
0: He, he did. <laughs> did, you
3: get a, did you get a chance to go through the thermals? To go through the thermals, Uh, what does that mean? Well, because we
2: we had a thermal sight on on one of the rifles. Did you get a chance to shoot that?
3: I shot everybody's, everyone was very kind to let me shoot their guns once. I shot every single sight, I shot everyone's gun one time. Um, And then I shot yours for the rest of it. But it was,
2: yeah. Now you you were there when when this was going on. I think and I think it was the end of day one. We were doing a, we had a dueling tree at about five hundred yards. Yes, and Pincus was losing to Kevin. <laughs> I was there for that. Reason. And, and, he, <laughs> and, he, and, he, and he had this he had this three hundred Win Mag Nemo, just amazing gun. And not necessarily on purpose, but he broke the dueling
1: tree. <laughs> <laughs> well. It, he ended the game, so he kind of won. He kind of kind of won.
3: <laughs> oh, I remember that. That was he was. It was a combination of you could tell he was like frustrated, he was losing, and then the amusement of like, "Huh." Well, well game's yeah, over.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, change the rules, right?
3: Yeah.
1: <laughs> and I, I will tell you, there's another comment that sticks out in my head that people talk about, um, and probably will for years to come. Yes. You were walking down range with I believe it was Pinkus. It at the was time. Rob. Yeah. And trying to make small talk, just being you. Mm-hmm. You disclosed a piece of information that has made us all laugh and giggle and probably will for a long time. You said, "This is the most time I've spent outside."
0: As Absolutely a, a definitive ever kind of statement. <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> so it, your point of reference coming to this class, you couldn't have been more of a beginner.
3: No, yeah, I being outside is not something that I was even raised with. It was all indoor activities, and the change from you know sitting inside, uh, playing board games, doing whatever, um, to going out for a couple of days, like three days straight, out into the uh, out in the middle of the wilderness, essentially. And there's a training range, but to me, basically, the wilderness at that point. Uh walking all over more exercise than I've probably ever gotten <laughs> um it was It was very very different um but it was nice it it was a new experience that i, I thoroughly enjoyed
1: in contrast i mean, we all grew up in a time frame when you know shortly after breakfast you got kicked outside mm-hmm. you drank yeah. from a garden hose, and when the street lights came on, somebody in your family yelled once for me, it was my dad. And if you didn't come, they didn't yell twice, but God help you if they had to come look for you. We spent every waking hour outside. Weather didn't seem to matter. You just wore more clothes, right, Right. when it got cold outside. So your generation and perspective on the class, you really weren't outside all that much. You were just a couple days, right? Right. Um, Did it spur any kind of desire to go and do more of that?
3: In a way, it's not like it's something I would uproot my lifestyle and I'm outdoorsman now. No, but uh, <laughs> definitely the I, I never understood the enjoyment of being outside for long periods of time, and it's given me the the insight to be being outside isn't a hassle or bad in its own right. It is finding the right thing to do while you're while you're outside, going camping, uh, going and shooting down at the range, taking a course. Um having purpose for being outside has made me want to be outside more often. There you go. Good. So, in the, in the perspective
2: of deer shooter, you know we want to talk about that intimidation factor of walking into a class and you got thrown to the sharks. Uh, I thought you did extremely well. you You put your head down and you learned, and, and from an instructor point of view, I watched you struggle on that first day to, at the end of this class, and this is a long-range precision class, you know, we were taking shots at 1,000 and beyond. And day three, we were we were up on top near the team room taking 1,300-yard shots at an 18-by-18-inch 18 18 plate. You crawled behind that rifle like you owned it. Um, <laughs> And you
3: cold bore, You hit that thing first round. That Yeah, that was... The best way I can put it is that was the full... Oh, how do I put it? That was the full combination of the previous three days, the highs and lows of the first day, uh, struggling really hard, picking up a little bit at the end, but I went home feeling a little upset, but not like I couldn't go out and do more to the next day feeling a lot better the night shoot improving my my confidence behind the rifle and then day three really starting to understand the rifle and and starting to to build the confidence of okay not only am i understanding what the rifle is and how to shoot it but understanding like the calls that you are making with wind the 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 amount that the shots drop based off of how far you are based off of how hot the gun is and how long you've been shooting. Wow! It <laughs> it just it it was an immaculate feeling when it was just first shot behind the barrel, and you I I I couldn't even hear the ping. I wasn't I just I took the shot and I closed my eyes and I don't know why it's not something I should do because I know you have to look for where the bullet goes but I did and then I heard hit and. It felt fucking amazing. Well, let, let, <laughs> let me shed a little perspective
1: on that activity specifically. There are very few people in the grand scheme of the shooting community that have laid behind a gun, made a 1,300 shot first time, um, let alone be able to have access to a range where they can shoot 1,300 yards. So in that moment, you joined a very elite crew. That's That's not common, even for guys that shoot all the time. That level of ability, and you have it now because you've done it,
3: is not normal. It's odd to me because I I kind of have a weird circumstance where I've been thrown into a very new lifestyle, and that was kind of the beginning of it. <laughs> the The opportunities that have been laid before me feel both extremely strange and normal to me at the same time, where being behind the rifle at the end of the third day felt normal which was which was very very nice but when i hear especially when hearing you talk about that and knowing a lot of the people that i grew up with and the place i grew up that that makes a lot of sense not not a lot of people would have the open space and opportunity to do that
2: no I and mean, we're we're extremely blessed where we're at
1: and those of us who have it, we don't sit behind a gun every day and make a 1,000-yard cold-bore shot. It doesn't happen every time. No. And well, we, have, right.
2: we all have our days.
1: Well, and Randy doesn't have those days. <laughs> no. The humbler over here, we sit her behind a gun when a guy's claiming that he's got a big old problem, and she grabs his gun, his equipment, his ammo, and makes that, that shot. Now, I can't call it cold-bore because that rifle's heated up by the time he got frustrated. Right. But... Brandy doesn't miss that often. And to sit and watch guys in a class watch a woman climb behind their gun, it is a humbling moment for everybody. We sit back and giggle because we know what's coming. But (laughs) it's not normal. People don't just climb behind a gun and hit first-round hits like that. So put that in perspective. When you think about your experience at the class, again, you've joined a pretty elite crew.
3: Yeah, I I mean, I would say, I don't it's hard because it, there's both a, talking about it makes, uh, spit <laughs> to-
2: it out, use your words,
3: <laughs> talking about it, I don't want to bump up my own ego because I know I hit that shot and I, I'm extremely, I'm, I'm impressed with myself, but saying that sounds bad.
1: No, 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 it shouldn't be. Go ahead, be I impressed with yourself.
3: I, I just—I remember very specifically when I, when I hit that shot, it was a—the step-by-step process of what Jason had taught me over the past three days was getting down behind the gun, making sure you're stable, taking a deep breath—or, sorry, uh, finding your dope, hearing the wind check, taking a deep breath in, letting it all out so you're empty inside— and then squeezing on the trigger rather than pulling it one way or the other. I always and take that shot when I'm empty inside. <laughs> <laughs> so I usually feel empty inside after the shot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it was. I it was it was almost a, a cathartic moment of 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 all that work and all of the teachings to take a deep breath and have it pay off in that moment.
2: Well, I watched you. It, you know, the, we got back day one and and you almost didn't even want to be around anybody. You, you were, you were upset. And at the end of day three, you were like life of the party.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That at the end of the first day, I, I definitely reclused. I, uh, I, I am a little more in touch with my emotional side and in a bad way, it comes out (laughs) when I don't mean it to. So I kind of hit away that first night. And I remember I was sitting in the room, uh, by myself, uh, And, uh, I remember sitting there with that, with the book of, uh, where I was writing down the dope and where it was all messed up. And I remember I was just sitting there looking at the book. I had a pen and I was just writing down those step-by-step instructions. Uh, there's at least like two pages straight of just the, the instructions of how to set up the gun, how to get behind it, what to do right before you take the shot and then what you do during it. And I wrote it down a good, like four or five times uh, and it was just my, it was a weird form of, I, I I know that I hadn't been doing bad, but I also wasn't hitting shots and coming to terms with, it was the equipment and I can try again tomorrow, but not letting myself feel as bad as I wanted to feel. Right. And just internalizing as much as I could to make sure that I did better the next day.
1: Now, you can cure a lot of that by just spending more time outside. <laughs> <laughs>
3: that I, I that I found to be true uh, spending a lot more time outdoors these days i I travel a lot more than I used to, but um it's definitely toughened up my emotional side to where it can come out when I want it to rather than when it wants to <laughs> and
2: and just not to not to go off the rails here, but I have to give a plug out to trinity reese he He was an a i on that class as his instructor on that class, and I couldn't have done it without his efforts he was absolutely herculean on that um so trinity thank you very much for that and and you you helped being a mentor to ryan to everybody that was there uh being able to do the personal coaching that i couldn't do at the moment so thank you
1: and the facility you trained at
2: is tactical solutions international it's a primarily a special forces training facility um, in crowhart wyoming absolutely exceptional facility and since we've started working with them we have we have helped them to develop it a little bit more a little bit better we're going to be doing a lot more training out there so thank you to the facility tsi and ken anderson for helping us out and and just being a great partner in in doing these classes
1: so, full circle here, now you've had your pinky toe step into a little bit of training, <laughs> yeah. and you, you started with a long gun. Most folks don't start there.
3: Yeah. <laughs> so,
1: where are you going next? What's on the agenda? Are you looking for more training? Are you going to diversify? What are you doing next?
3: Well, I and I personally don't own a gun right now, and that's I'm saving up money to kind of look forward to buying my own gun at this point, but I figure before I do that, I... I want to try to take a, a pistol training class to, uh, to have the knowledge and the, the, the safety to, to own it properly and to, to use it effectively. All right. So, um, you ag- so
2: you acknowledge that the training is the responsible part of gun ownership?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, guns in and of themselves are, are dangerous tools. However, when used with proper knowledge and proper application they're an incredibly effective tool used for defense a little bit of fun you know it's it, it's all about the knowledge and the safety nailed it <laughs> <laughs> Well
1: said. Now it, you're headed towards a pistol class next. Yes, so, I,
3: I believe so. I, I kind of want to learn to, how to shoot every kind of gun, if possible. But Ryan,
0: your, your father-in-law might be able to help you with it. <laughs> so I figure, you know, his outdoor time and stuff, maybe it's time for a land nav class up on Union Pass. Ooh,
1: what's well, a I, land nav? I think it's an appropriate <laughs> class. However, let's let the snow go away first.
0: <laughs> okay, yeah, that. Yeah. So Ryan brought up, what's a land nav class? Mm.
2: (laughs) land navigation so being able to find yourself and locate waypoints via compass is kind of becoming a lost art the proliferation of gps and google maps um we kind of forget how to find ourselves in the wilderness but the thing about it is in wyoming where where we all are GPS doesn't work everywhere, and you know, when you find yourself in the shadow of the valley of death, um, Google Maps isn't always your friend.
1: <laughs> Electronics are not always going to get you out. No. You've got to be able to reference yourself with a compass and a map and a landmark and figure that out for yourself. Gotcha.
2: And I'm going to say something that's going to make me sound like a conspiracy theorist here, but here's the thing, a compass can't get hacked.
0: Mm-hmm. Unless you're in Atlantic City. <laughs> <laughs>
2: When there's a lot of iron in the ground, your compass acts a little weird. <laughs>
3: <laughs> not to not to veer too far off track, I promise I'm going to round it back in here, but the, the, na- the, the nav class, what you're talking about, it reminds me of something you had been talking about during the ballistics training where you had talked about specifically dope is becoming uh, not a lost art, but something that is being used far less and less and less as time goes on, where you can do it by hand. You can look at Something in your environment. Compare it to your target. Understand the size difference and mark up your own dope. It's being used on apps. You're, and being you're used talking on about technology.
2: Yeah, you're talking about milling a target.
3: Yes, that milling a target being a lost, a lost. Uh, yeah, being becoming a lost art is kind of similar to the, the nav class they're wanting me to take where it's, you can, re, or you can use technology when it's applicable, but being able to be self-reliant and do it without the technology is far more precious of a knowledge.
1: Well, it, all of the technology we're talking about is based off the principles of being able to do it by hand. They've done nothing more than packed a calculator into it, um, allowed you to put a clock on a rangefinder, so you can, you know, laser or something, you can see how far away it is. Those are things that are cheats, right? If you can do it analog without that equipment, you understand what that equipment's doing for you a lot better. Mm-hmm. That makes sense.
2: And and the fact of the matter is, in the real world, batteries die. Equipment fails. Motherboards fry. We get it, excited.
1: me. leave the truck without our stuff. I mean, it happens.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And being able to fall back on knowledge... The less stuff you need, and that's and that's the basis. And I and I really appreciate you using the self-reliance part of it because that is the motto of Wyotac: is empowerment through self-reliance. We are empowered by knowing how to do things without the technology. the The more that you can do for yourself, the less reliant you are on society, on technology, on convenience. Well said. So, your first class was a doozy. Yeah. So, what advice would you give to the new shooter coming into their first class?
1: Dear shooter.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Dear shooter, I would highly recommend you walk into the class with the most open mind that you possibly can, setting aside any preconceived notions you have about the equipment, the actual act... Even partially the safety of it, learning it from the ground up and really pulling in what your teacher is trying to teach you is going to yield the best results possible. Because a, an empty cup can be filled properly, whereas of a, a full one, it's just going to spill over. It's, it doesn't work like that.
2: <laughs> wow, I got it. That, was, that. That was, was best good. That was good. Yeah. And 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 that's and and that's what you got to do. And e- even when you're okay, you you've been through your first class. Well, when you go through your twentieth class, different instructor, different point of view, different perspective, whatever it may be, still go into it with an open mind because you may pick up something that you didn't know before, or maybe works better.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Uh,
2: There's a reason you're going through the class. <laughs> right. You're trying to learn something. I want that certificate, damn it!
0: <laughs> hey, my wall's plastered with them. Yeah.
2: <laughs> she's running out of wall space. I know. I'm gonna just get her a binder.
0: <laughs> Can't see the binder. I need more wall.
2: <laughs> no, nah, she's she's gonna start knocking down walls in her office. <laughs> <laughs> she has your sledgehammer. It's fine. God. <laughs> when you get that phone call, where's your <laughs> sledgehammer? What do you? Never mind. What? (laughs) Click. What? (laughs) So overall, like, after the class, you've been through it. You know, you you had the highs. You had the lows. You had the struggles. You had the the victories. Recommendations.
3: Ooh, what do you mean by that? So
2: (laughs) somebody... Just very first coming into it um, I got my bought my first gun now, what do I do?
3: Buy your first gun now, what do I do? I mean following all I really know is finding somebody to instruct you how to use it properly that's that's got to be the first thing to do. I would do that even maybe even before buying a gun, just having the the information beforehand to know. What kind of gun you want to use, based off of the knowledge you already have. Uh, knowledge is really key for all of it, from what I can tell, at the very least. Um, being able to understand guns, understand what they can do, the what you can do with them, absolutely makes it so. You you think of it like the knowledge is the backboard of which you use to project yourself off. Without a backboard, you're not going anywhere. You can't project yourself off of it. There's no trajectory. Um, the stronger your knowledge is, the farther you're going to go.
1: <laughs> that's,
2: that's, that's pretty profound. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: <laughs> Most of us get a new gun and pull it out of the box and love on it and look at it. and Talk to it and then go <laughs> shoot it. And then we the realize that we don't know what they're doing, so then we have to seek somebody out. You but,
0: buy a new gun and you look at it and you love on it and you can't find ammo for it. And then you cry a little. I do that all the
1: time. Wow. <laughs> I, I do, I've got one right now that I'm doing the exact same with. You know, we, we talked about this last week. How, the, how does that bus feel? Uh, you know, those tracks are getting actually in the little ruts. <laughs> so it's not as bad as it was the first couple of times. Brandy has a unique knack of driving that bus right over the top of me. You know, she keeps doing it. She's going to high center. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a short joke? Yeah, might be. <laughs>
2: I got you a grenade a couple of years ago that made your hand look big. Yeah, that thing's <laughs> cool. It's on my desk, too. So beyond just taking the class, um, having the resources of the people that were in it, were you able to lean on their knowledge
1: as well?
3: Yeah, absolutely. And I, going into it, I thought I was just it was just going to be me constantly coming up to you, asking questions whenever I could. But I often found that no matter who was shooting to my left or who was shooting to my right uh, or even uh, who bad with names, Trinity correct? Uh-huh. Yes. Uh, or Trinity walking around, calling shots for people. I found that no no matter who I turned to, regardless what my question was, they gave their best shot at answering it the best they could. Where if I was like, hey, I I don't know what this little knob does on top of the scope. What does that do? And if they <laughs> looked at me and they said huh it does this, or I don't know, let's ask him. And then it it was, if there was information that I needed, even if they didn't have it, they helped me get there.
2: Right. And that was, you had that advantage in that, especially in that class. You, like I said, you, you had a lot of experience and knowledge in that class to go off of. And that's one of the things that always impresses me about this industry is Egos get set aside because it's all about building shooters.
0: I had that. We had that at several rifle competitions. You think that they would want to, you know, laugh at you or hurt you in some way or whatever, but they don't. They all give you advice. Your direct competitors in your group will give you advice. Well, this would work better. This works better for me. Mm -hmm. Maybe it will help you. So even in a competition standpoint, they're helpful
1: i've gone to competitions and showed up just to kind of watch right and you're that weird guy standing in the background with your hands in your pocket and somebody's walking up to you going you want to shoot this <laughs> you get that deer caught in the head looks like and you're like i don't have any equipment and they're like here use mine mm-hmm. the community that goes and shoots they're incredibly accepting new shooters they want to help new shooters and you're right. Even at NRL and PRS competitions, halfway through a stage, you're like, hey, try this. They're going to help you out. You set your ego aside and listen to them. From their experience, it's going to be exponentially better for you.
3: Mm-hmm. It's almost a, a whole new facet that I've never seen before in, uh, in the relationship that people have within a culture with each other where, where I – where growing up it was a lot of people like I'm the winner you're the loser I'm going to do whatever I can to build myself up whereas of it feels like especially in the class and I, I don't have a lot of more outside knowledge than that for now um, but it felt more like I'm winning I'm, I'm hitting my shots I feel good about it let me help you get there too and it's more of a sharing of the success and wanting other people to be successful too knowing what you know yourself
1: so when you walked in with that insecurities, how do you feel about it now?
3: I feel great. I, I wouldn't, I, I'm I going to feel much better walking into the next class, not necessarily with an ego of like, yeah, I know how to shoot, but more of I know that I can come here and be constructive, and I'm going to leave here shooting far better than I did when I came.
2: Could not have said it better myself. And as per usual, we have gone over time. You'll edit it out. <laughs> it's fine. You'll, I'm not going to edit that. The power that. of post.
1: It's fine. No.
2: No, not going to do that. So, thank you very much to our guest, Ryan Gallo. Thank you for having me. Um, really appreciate your insight, and and I think you nailed it. No, no other. Nah, anything?
1: couldn't have said it better.
2: <laughs> All right, and we will see you guys next week, same time.